Welcome to Humans Are Us, Human Lives, Human Stories, a podcast about ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are the stories of people that said yes to themselves. Their experiences have helped to make them who they are in this moment. By sharing their personal stories, we hope to inspire others to live their truth. This is a podcast about growth and being one's true, authentic self. Please be advised, this podcast contains adult content and language. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of Humans Are Us. I'm your host, MJ Love. Today I'm speaking with Chantal, wife, mother of two energetic boys, who I love very much, medical secretary at an OBGYN office located in Peterborough, and she just happens to be my oldest sister. Hi, sis. How's it going? Hi. It's good. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me about this. So today we're going to talk about endometriosis, or as I like to call it, my uterus being a see you next Tuesday. (laughs) So just for uh, listeners, I'm going to define endometriosis. So according to the Mayo Clinic, it's an often painful disorder in which tissue similar to the tissue that normally lines inside of your uterus uterus grows outside of your your uterus. These tissues will break down and bleed with each metrocycle, but unlike the normal cycle, the lining that is thickening can't be released through your body. So these tissues that form outside the uterus have no way of exiting and they become trapped. The surrounding tissues can become irritated, eventually developing scar tissue and adhesions, which are abnormal bands of fibrous tissue that can cause pelvic tissues and organs to stick to each other. When involved in the ovaries, cysts can form, which can be very painful. So usually this is hereditary, which is what the doctors have discovered recently by doing research. So in our family, our mother also had issues with her uterus. So for a very long time, I kind of thought having a painful period was very normal. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't until I read Doing Harm, the truth about how bad medicine and lazy science leave women dismiss, misdiagnosed, and sick by Maya Densberry, that I had this realization that I wasn't normal and that the intense pain that I experienced on a monthly basis wasn't the case for everyone who has a uterus. (laughs) I was, I'm not going to tell you how old I was when I figured this out, but it was, it was old. Um, So let's start at the beginning for you. When did you first get your period and were they always painful for you? So I was um, about 12 years old. And as far as painful, I would have to say yes. I don't really ever recall having a period that didn't um, come with menstrual cramps at the same time. That's just all I ever knew. And like you said, I thought it was normal. I thought this was normal that you got your period with painful cramps that you had to use heating pads and Advil. And that was just the norm that you came to expect on a monthly basis. And you basically just had to learn to live with it. 
Um, and same, I didn't know until much later that that's not really the case. <laughs> that the, the, that pain and cramping, especially to that severity, is actually um, signs that there's something else going on. We are a family of mostly women. And, you know, three out of the four women in our family have had this experience. Obviously, that's why we thought, hey, this is just something you have to learn to live with. And every woman or everyone with a uterus goes through this and they just grin and bear it like we are. And you just have to learn to live with it, which is not actually the case, uh, as we found out years later. <laughs> and I mean, to, to combat that, I mean, I was a started birth control um, at a young age, 14, 15. And it wasn't because I was sexually active. Um, it was it was purely to help with and help manage the pain. Um, and I mean, it helped initially, but it certainly did improve and help regulate and help me manage it in my life, because at least I knew when it was coming, <laughs> and I could plan accordingly. Um, and you would, you would plan your life around when your period was coming, and you wouldn't make plans for that weekend. Or you would, if you knew you had a big thing going on, you would double up on your pills so you didn't get your period, so it didn't ruin your plans. Um, and that's just how life was for many years. Birth control is kind of the first line of defense that doctors use against painful periods to help regulate that. And, and in my experience as well, to be honest, it made it somewhat more manageable, but it didn't really improve my life very much either. No, I think it makes it manageable just in, in you know when to expect it. And you plan accordingly, um, but it certainly didn't eliminate um, the issue. And again, you just carried on. And because I thought that's just how it was, that it was just the joy of womanhood <laughs> that you got to have painful periods once a month. Condition has <laughs> actually uh, gotten a little more press in the recent years, but it can be very challenging to diagnose. So what doctors do is they usually use ultrasounds to try and get an image of what's going on in there. Like for me, I've been just diagnosed based on the symptoms that I have given my doctor. And actually, I did get a diagnosis of endometriosis, which is slightly different than endometriosis, but they usually go hand in hand. So my diagnosis right now is that I have both. Most likely. It's not definitive. <laughs> No, and, and that is true. Um, oftentimes, the, the ultrasounds are often done more to rule out other things. So in my case, um, um, I had a plethora of tests done at the time, um, including pelvic and transvaginal, which is an internal ultrasound, at which point they did discover some fibroids and a cyst. <laughs> Um, had MRIs, I had mammograms, um, blood work, though none of those things came back with any results or, or diagnosis. It was the lack of anything in those tests that ultimately, um, determined based on the symptoms and lack of anything else that it had to be endometriosis. Usually when you're experiencing this, these things, it comes with painful periods like we talked about. You can have pain during intercourse, pain with bowel movements or um, urination, excess bleeding, infertility, fatigue, diarrhea, constipation, bloating or nausea. And 
I also add this on because this has been my personal experience. And sometimes um, you, or actually the more this went on, I experienced what I call a period hangover, which is when you were so exhausted from being in that much excruciating pain that like the week after you kind of walk around like a zombie because you were just like physically, mentally, everything. You're just so tired. Exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it sounds like you know what what a period hangover. Um, I suppose I've never heard it put in those terms before, but um, yes, <laughs> I've, I've come up with the word. So, how old were you when you actually kind of first heard this word endometriosis being applied to you? Oh God, um, my thirties, like after years of painful period that I thought were normal after two, you know, pregnancies and childbirth, it wasn't until after that. And my symptoms, um, got much worse to things that I was like, okay, now this is not normal. Um, it wasn't until that point. Yeah. In my early thirties that they were like, okay, we think this is endometriosis and this is what it is. And these are the treatment options. And sadly, that's the case for a lot of people. So in your experience, because you had your children prior to being diagnosed, did you find that your symptoms got worse, better afterwards? Or you know, did it matter? Do you think it mattered at all that you had children? And I, I don't know. I don't know if, if having kids ex- made things worse or not. I mean, I was very fortunate that it didn't affect um, me being able to get pregnant. I, I didn't have any issues there. I had fairly, um, I would say, very good pregnancies, very minimal um, issues other than the nausea and, and things like that. You know, because you did obviously go months without having a period. So, you know, after that, you know, did they come back with a force or was it kind of just like business as usual? I nursed both my my children. I was very fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, and I did, you know, 12 to 15 months for both of my boys. Fortunate enough to not really have a period while I was nursing. So the first time when my periods came back, I didn't really notice much of a difference to how they were before. After my second son was born, um, five years later, at that point, my husband and I decided that the birth control we were going to use was his vasectomy. (laughs) So I figured, you know, I don't need to go back on birth control. Um, I'm now in my 30s. I had been taking it for 15 plus years. And um, at that point, I decided I don't want to go back on it. I don't need to because that's taken care of. (laughs) And so that time when my periods came back, oh, did they come back with a vengeance. I had never experienced anything like that before. Um, The pain was excruciating. It honestly felt like I was being stabbed in my abdomen. It was um, really concentrated on my right side. Um, so that side in particular was was very sore. And the other thing was the clots. I was passing toonie size clots. And when they're that size, you feel them drop. <laughs> It was just really uncomfortable and you were very self-conscious about it because you never knew when that was going to happen. And so, you know, you're, you're at work or, or wherever you get up and it's just like a gush between your legs and you think, Oh, did that, did the cup I'm wearing catch that? Did the pad I'm wearing under my cup catch that? Or is that all over my pants now? <laughs> Used a diva cup for my, my periods, um, which I loved. Um, but I was filling it in. 20 minutes, half an hour, 
which is outrageous because it's designed to wear for up to 12 hours. This is no longer a normal period. Something is up here. Um, and I started my investigation. And so that's when blood work was the first course, checking hormones and pituitary glands and all that stuff. And uh, following the blood work, they had ultrasounds um, and then MRI to rule out tumors. <laughs> I had um, a mammogram at, you know, 32 or 33 years old. And yeah, eventually the, the diagnosis of endometriosis came after several, several months of going through these tests and finally getting a referral to the gynecologist and getting in with them. And that's a journey, but unfortunately it's not, um, uncommon. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's sadly not. And so, you know, once you got that diagnosis after year, well, goodness me, over 15 years of dealing with this and then months of tests, what kind of treatments did you receive at that point? Because I guess at that point they had moved on from giving birth control as a solution. I was offered birth control. And I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that the doctor that I had uh, was my um, OBGYN when I was pregnant with my second son. So, and she, of course, offered birth control as the first line, which it is. Like, I declined that option. Um, so there were... Um, medications that are like hormonal based that she spoke about as well. Um, and the idea there is to try and counteract the, I guess it's like an overactive estrogen, right? That is producing this extra lining and try and slow it down. Um, now the side effects of those, unfortunately, are often menopausal like symptoms. And, um, I am not a big medication taker opted not to do that third option, which was a surgical um, option. And this was a, it was a minor procedure. Um, so it was an outpatient procedure. The procedure is, is it's basically an ablation where they will laparoscopically go into your uterine area and they basically cauterize the lining. So they, they go in and burn out what's there <laughs> and clean everything all up and get rid of inflammation and the pain and the symptoms. The idea behind this procedure is a holdover. Um, and especially for younger women who are, are still, you know, far off from menopause, which I was at the time, because I, I think I was about 32 at this time, I think. It was said at the time that it was, it should have helped for anywhere from five to 10 years to combat the symptoms. So I said, sounds great. You know, if it can get me 10 years, by then I'll be close to 45. I was at a point where I don't want to mask it anymore. I want to deal with it. I want to get rid of it. I don't, I don't want to be in pain on a monthly basis. And so I opted for the, the ablation. I went in on a Friday, <laughs> um, took the weekend and went back to work the following Tuesday. <laughs> Unfortunately, I actually ended up losing, um, my right ovary at that time, because once they got in with the scopes and everything, um, they discovered that it was endometriosis had actually um, surrounded my right ovary completely. Having the relationship that I did with my doctor, she knew that I was done having children. And she knew that my goal here was to um, feel better on a, on a daily basis. And so she opted to take the, the ovary at the time. I did get my period back after 
the ablation. And I have to say, I was pretty disappointed because <laughs> it had only been about two years as opposed to five. And so um, at that point, I was like, well, here we go again. So the process, unfortunately, had to start all over again. It wasn't as simply simple as calling up the gynecologist and being like, it's back. No. <laughs> Even though I knew that's what that was, um, I was required to go back to my GP, get a new referral. She insisted on doing new ultrasounds. Um, she wanted to rule out kidney stones and pregnancy, which I knew wasn't the case. Um, pregnancy was impossible. I was down an ovary and my tubes were already tied at that ablation. So <laughs> that was not it. Um, and I knew it wasn't kidney stones because it went with my menstrual cycle. And so, um, yeah, we started all over again. I went back to the same doctor at that point um, because we had already been through the options. I figured we were at surgery. Um, now, at that time, um, when I went to see her, there was actually a, a new pill on the market. This medication is called Orlissa. And it was just, just released at that time when I was going back to see her. And she was very excited about the prospect of this medication and about it, it possibly helping me and avoiding a few years of surgery. Um, because of course I have two young children. I'm a full-time working mom, you know, and I'm only, you know, at this time, what, 35, 36 years old. So I took the prescription home. Um, the way this medication works, the idea here is again, it's a, it's a supposed to inhibit the estrogen hormone. Um, and the idea is the less estrogen, the less endo related symptoms is the idea. That was not the case for me. <laughs> so you take this medication in three to six month intervals. It's supposed to shrink the endometriosis, get rid of the symptoms. That's not what happened at all. Um, upon starting this medication, my symptoms actually got worse. My pain became constant as opposed to cyclical. Um, my mood swings were unbelievable. I would go from crying at commercials to wanting to murder someone. Um, I had zero sex drive, like my libido just dive bombed. Um, and that was after taking it for maybe two or three weeks. <laughs> and uh, I went back to my um, gynecologist at that point and said, yeah, looks like we're going the surgery route. And so she booked me for surgery and I had a hysterectomy in September of 2019. Can then you talk about that experience of, you know, having the hysterectomy because it's a crazy major surgery, but it's obviously a, you got to that point because you were just like, I'm done here. And the endometriosis was very negatively impacting your life. Like endometriosis does get worse the older you get. So it's not something that goes away on its own. It's something that kind of just keeps revving up year after year, month after month. Um, okay. So, I mean, obviously having surgery and a major organ removed is a very personal decision. Um my my personal experience was i would have to say overall positive um i think the relationship that i had with my gynecologist was a huge plus because i felt very comfortable with her now 
because of my age, obviously, uh, we looked at the option of a total hysterectomy, but leaving my sole ovary. <laughs> because as, as previously mentioned, I'm not a big medication taker. And after, especially after my experience with Orlissa, I was very fearful of um, taking synthetic hormone replacements. And um, that probably was my biggest fear um, entering into this surgery that I would end up losing my, my ovary and be in menopause at 36 years old. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. Overall, I'd have to say the experience was good. I mean, this is a much more involved surgery. So of course, I was there a little bit longer. Um, you had to stay the night in the hospital. The recovery is also quite a bit longer. As far as regrets, I mean, I feel so much better. I don't suffer with that pain anymore. I mean, I, there was nothing there. Um, I probably had, I don't want to say a, mo a moment of regret because I don't know that it's really regret, but maybe more um, feelings of loss after the surgery. Um, it's funny because prior to the surgery, when I, I made that decision with my doctor to, to go that route, um, at that point, I think I was in so much pain and so tired of suffering. Um, I just wanted it to end. And I saw the hysterectomy as the solution. And it was, it, it, it was the solution because I, I am pain free. Um, but I don't think I fully understood the scope of what I was entering into. And again, I don't regret it. I think I just feel a bit of a, a loss there. Like that's a huge part of your womanhood that's just gone. Um, and, and again, I had no interest in having any other children. I knew that part of my life was over. And I think that's also made it a lot easier decision. Like we had already sealed that part. My husband and I had made that decision long before. It's still major surgery. And I don't think I have really understood the full scope of it until after the fact. Um, so although I don't regret it, I wish I had taken a little bit more time or read a little bit more about exactly what I was getting myself into. The end result though, couldn't be happier. I'm, I'm feeling better. I, like I said, living with, without that pain is, has made a big difference. And knowing that I don't have to fear that every month, um, has certainly helped with my own, you know, mental health and, and, and happiness for sure. That's really great. Cause we're, um, for listeners, uh, Chantal is only 15 months older than myself. Uh, so, uh, we're very close in age. We're almost Irish twins, but mm, so close, but so close. So, you know, us being so close in age is, is interesting for our milestones. Um, like myself recently, I did not have a hysterectomy, but I seriously was thinking about it because like you, I, and we talked about this, like I just needed it to stop um, because being tired or in pain or just like lethargic, usually three months out of, or three weeks out of a month, like that severely impacts your ability to live as a human being and work and, you know, do all the things you have to do as an adult. And so it's, it's nice to hear that you are at a point where you aren't experiencing menopause. That's, you know, you're not even 40 yet. 
that's great because that is something I know you were worried about and you don't even have to take hormones, which is amazing um, to help combat that. So it sounds like, you know, though you do feel like some days you're missing a part of you, it sounds like you want out in the end a hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, really, I mean, it's not a part that I ever saw. <laughs> right. And, and, and to be honest, that feeling didn't last long. I think just, you know, you're at home for, for six weeks. My kids were in school and my husband was working. Um, and you have a lot of time to think and ponder. Plus you're medicated. <laughs> so not always a good combination. And, um, I chose to, um, entertain myself with uh, books about, um, women, woman, sexuality and, and things like that. And as I was reading that, I think it just kind of sparked a moment of, did I do the right thing? Um, but being that we are, um, oh my gosh, I, it's been, when did I, two years since I've had that. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it because it's been a good two years. Literally, you had a weight removed, but also, you know, the weight of endometriosis is so intense because it does affect, it ends up affecting every aspect of your life. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm a power through kind of person. And so I just would pop pills and just you know, go about my day and, you know, suffer for those few excruciating moments and then just really try to pretend it wasn't there and just, like I said, carry on and put on a brave face. And um, I don't think you realize, like when you're in the thick of it, I don't think you realize how draining it is, both physically and emotionally. It's just your way of life. Um, it's not until it's changed and those things are gone that you look back and you realize that was, that was difficult and that was painful and that was hard. And, um, I'm glad it's over now. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a huge amount of suffering. Um, and I try not to think about it, but I, sometimes my brain just kind of goes there about, you know, all the time I lost because of that pain and, you know, the subsequent exhaustion, um, and there are just so many days where I was in so much pain and I was on a ridiculous amount of drugs. Um, and that's not safe either, right? Like that's not safe to be popping ibuprofen and naproxen and, and acetaminophen and, and anything you can get your hands on just to combat, um, your pain. Like that's, that's not healthy. <laughs> No, and, and I must stress that, you know, even taking large of large amount of pain pills or, you know, I also used to smoke some pot to deal with it. And sometimes there was also booze on top of that. And I was completely honest, you know, with my doctor about how, like, look, like, this is how bad it is. And even with all of that, like, I can still feel it. Like I said, it was enough to take the edge off so that you could go about your tasks, but it never took it away. No, it was always an underlying um, monster there. And it did feel like something was clawing at your uterus from the inside or stabbing from the outside or both. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never been stabbed, but when that was happening, that was the only, um, the only thing I could 
describe it as like I, I, it was a sharp stabbing <laughs> pain. <laughs> yeah. And it is it's excruciating. And it, until you really feel it, I don't think it's, you can't really describe it to the people. I feel like the extent, like, and I, cause I've gone to, you know, hospitals and whatever and trying to get medication. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to explain to a doctor, specifically a male doctor who's never experienced this pain. Like, like I'm in so much pain, I'm going to fall over and like not be able to get up. And I'm in so much pain. I'm past the point of being able to cry. And so it's really, really hard, I find. Um, and it's one of the barriers to, you know, getting proper pain management is explaining to, you know, doctors who, you know, endometriosis isn't their specialty or something they've dealt a lot with. You know, it's hard to have someone outside of, you know, who doesn't have that knowledge to really understand just how awful and just excruciating it is. And I feel like the word excruciating pales in comparison to what is actually happening. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny. Cause I mean, I think, you know, there are varying degree and obviously everyone has different pain tolerances and, and there are varying degrees of pain. But when we talk about, you know, menstrual cramps being normal, like, I mean, I think to a, a degree, maybe they are like, there are certain, you know, PMS type symptoms, if you will, that, that most women do experience. But I think the severity of this pain is a beast all its own. And, I think it's very hard for women to distinguish the difference between what is a normal amount of pain and what is leading into these other, like what is endometriosis pain or like at what point does it make the switch to what's considered within the realm of a regular period to not. And I don't think there's a clear definition there or a clear line there. Um, and and maybe it's just different for everybody. And maybe it is a, an individual case by case basis. And maybe the the solution is more of a woman centered focused um, practice, right? And I mean, I have to say, I am now very fortunate that I work in that environment. I, I actually in the last six months ended up um, moving to a job with um, my OBGYN and gynecologist who treated me in the past. I now work for her um, and her colleagues. And I am so um, inspired and, and proud to work for these women and what they do in my local community, um, I think is fantastic. And I, I really, they are advocates for women and, and for their healthcare. And I think it's, it's wonderful to be part of that and to see, to see that. And unfortunately, when it comes to women health, women are the experts. I don't really think men can fully understand the scope of it by reading in a textbook. I think there are really some things that you need to be a woman to, to understand. Um, and unfortunately, um, there's just not a lot of female gynecologists out there. And I think they're, they're coming and I think there's more than there ever has been before. Um, but I think there is still a barrier there. And I think there are still a lot of women who are not being heard, um, who are being told that they're crazy. It's in their head and it's not, it's not, it's just, it's, it's just a limited understanding of women's health and our body.
Which I find fascinating because um, people with uteruses are the ones that make the babies. So you would think reproductive health of those people would be a priority in the world. Yes, but we're not talking about reproductive health, are we? Because when you're talking about reproduction and fertility clinics and all of that, it's well beyond some of the other areas. This, but this has nothing to do with reproduction. This has to do with our health and our well being, which is a totally different side of the coin. Well, I guess in my head, since it's the uterus, it should be considered reproductive health. But I guess in the medical field, maybe it's not. I think it, it is, but it's a different branch, right? Like, like, I think there is more emphasis put on the infertility side of reproductive health as opposed to just the general like health and well-being of a woman. <laughs> Periods and, you know, what a quote-unquote normal period looks like isn't talked about. I find there's a lot of secrecy around it. Um Women don't want to talk about their periods, about when they got it, what their period is like. They don't talk about it with their friends. They don't talk about that they have it. Um, they don't talk about what they use <laughs> um, when it comes. Um, and not only that, like you think about it, I mean, in the last decade or so, we've seen a real push with the Diva Cup and, and other menstrual cups. But prior to that, what evolution do we have in, in feminine hygiene products? Zero. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll put the tampon, but are we really toting that as a good evolution? No. No. Not. (laughs) You know, women have this happen to them all the time. And I don't think women should have special treatment because this is happening. But I think we need to have a bigger dialogue around it being a thing because it happens to a huge percentage of the population and it shouldn't be gross. It's not gross. It's just biology. And we should norm like it should be normalized and it should be talked about because I think so many less women would suffer if we had these conversations a little earlier because maybe they wouldn't be in their thirties when they figure it out. They normal. <laughs> Well, and I think back to when I first got my period and what education I was given on it, zero to none, right? Like uh, I remember basically being told, all right, you're a woman now. This is going to come every month. And that was pretty much it. (laughs) Yes, I was terrified because mom's periods were horrible. And I know she was in excruciating pain and she had her own issues around this. Um, So I was not looking forward to it at all. No, but again, it's not like she really shared that with us. I mean, we more knew that just from living in the same house, Not, not because she sat down and had a conversation with us. Right. Yeah. But I think there, there does need to be a conversation and education happening so that women are not waiting until they're in their thirties or forties before actually getting resolutions to these, these issues and symptoms that they deal with for most of their adult life. Now that I work at the gynecologist's office, we have patients that take that same medication or Lissa with wonderful success, right? Which is fantastic. Um, 
Unfortunately, I was not one of those people and it had the opposite effect on me. Um, but it does help for a lot of women. And I mean, there are treatment options out there, various treatment options out there. And I think, you know, part of the reason that they go through all of them is because each woman reacts differently and a solution for one woman is not going to be a solution for another. And so they have to go through all the steps um, in order to find what best works for that individual. I was reading that it's like half a million women in Canada, they think have endometriosis or kind of variation of that. How crazy is that? That's crazy to the fact that I never even heard the word endometriosis until I was diagnosed with it at 30 years old. And yet half a million women suffer with this. That's outrageous to me. Outrageous. Well, it is getting more out there because more and more women are speaking out about this. And, you know, I thank you for being so candid about your story because it's so important for these stories to be told and hopefully having people hear this story will make them realize like, wait a second, what I'm going through, is it normal? Thank you. Thank you for having me on. As I said, it was, it's always nice to talk to you and uh, it's good to, to get it out there and, and start the conversation. And if this helps someone start the conversation, then um, that makes me happy. <laughs> Yeah, we just want people to be healthy and happy. That's basically the end goal here, um, you know, to experience that. Yeah, yeah. Because if one good week out of the month is all you get, you're not doing much with that. Yeah, that's not living. Um, that's suffering. So we wish you luck and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Humans Are Us. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to rate and review. Enjoyed this episode? Share it with someone you think would love to connect with our growing community. Do you have a story to be shared? Check out our website and send us an email or connect with us on Instagram at humansrs.com.